Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the 4Jack Podcast, brought to you by our friends over at Jackson Labs. On today's episode, we sit down with Corn Ferry Touring Professional Mark Baldwin. We discuss his journey to the Corn Ferry Tour, as well as his time spent on the Asian Tour. We also discuss the coronavirus stoppage and how it affects him, as well as other Corn Ferry Touring Professionals. This is an episode that I hope everyone really enjoys as much as we did, so sit back and enjoy the episode. Cheers, folks. Welcome to the 4Jack Podcast. (laughs) And we're back on the 4Jack Podcast. Big episode today with a big guest, but I'm not going to be the one that's going to introduce him. I'm going to hand it over to my man, Tombo, to the left. And uh, why don't you give a little introduction for the folks? This next guest, I hold near and dear to my heart as we met playing golf at Los Angeles Golf Club. And he gave me a, a solid stroke on every single hole for 18 holes and then kicked my ass on the 18th after he hit the longest drive I've ever seen in my life. There's this 18th at Las Sendas, big par five, double dog leg, and there's a lake on the right and the left once you get up there. And from the silver tees, it's unthinkable to even consider driving it over this lake on the right, like a 325 carry going into this because I think I actually made a crazy birdie on 17 to like tie the match after getting a stroke on every hole. So I was proud because Mark is an incredible golfer. But smashes it over these trees, hits a wedge up in there, and makes birdie. And I think I chunked one into the lake. Made six. Yeah. Now, Mark, after meeting him that day, learning who he is, following him on social media, being friends with him on Facebook, one of the most creative minds I've ever seen out there for content. And it, it made sense listening to the Golf Digest podcast that like video and marketing is sort of what Mark went to school for, aside from like playing golf and doing that. It's pretty funny to like one of my favorite videos that he has on his Instagram is this one where he does this Game of Thrones thing where a fan favorite he's talking to he's talking to himself he's filming both angles one he's playing the third eyed raven the other half of him he's Mark Baldwin looking for advice and we're gonna have to share this I've talked about it plenty of times on the pod greatest acting the man is is the best and super proud that he's now playing on the corn ferry a little sad that there's a hiatus because i know he was playing good as we've been following him on the show and yeah let's just send it over to him codes you got anything you want to add mark thanks so much for being with us how are you today after our small delay mon frere oh i'm fantastic thanks for having me guys and thanks for that uh really uplifting intro you know i uh <laughs> It's hard to remember those days. They seem like they were so long ago, the, the days before sweatpants and chill. Yep. You know, and I don't know what I don't know what I inhaled that day of the uh, the Game of Thrones video, but man, that was uh, I was firing on, on all cylinders. I don't know if I'll ever I'll ever return to that level. I think you will. Like it's, I would just like to know what gave you the idea to get the Game of Thrones video going. Yeah, that's, it was it was just relevant, you know. It was it was uh, the time when that final season was kind of at its pinnacle, and it, and I think it had uh, I think it was just kind of reaching its crescendo, and it was all anybody was really talking about. 
you know, and so uh, it seemed timely. I like it. I like it. Big fan of that. But a uh, little background for the listeners here. So obviously, Mark, you turned pro in 2006, kind of bounced around through a bunch of mini tours and then wound up way before the Corn Ferry, but you wound up on the Asian tour and kind of played around there for, what was it, three years? Yeah, if you break up the total amount of time, I played in different intervals. And so when I first went over there was when I graduated and I played for a year over there. And then later on, I came back to it in 2015 and I played out there uh, 15, 16, 17. Um, so, yeah, if you, you know, c- combine all the time I spent over there and had status, it was probably four seasons. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, like before we go into the Corn Ferry Tour and your play around North America, like I really wanted to dive into your time on the Asian Tour. Like, I'm. I mean, I didn't spend as much time as you did over there, but I spent about a year and a half over in Southeast Asia. And like I heard on your Golf Digest uh, pod that you were speaking about how most of the events are down in Southeast Asia and not so much up in Korea and Japan. And I wanted to know like what, uh, how it all went for you. Like how was the culture shock? Like how did you find the golf down there? And just in general, like how did you enjoy your time? Man, I'm glad somebody listened to that Golf Digest podcast. Oh, it was great, dude. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. I, I, keep, I, keep, I kept getting these messages like, "Man, it's so cool that you're on, you know, the Golf Digest podcast. I can't wait to listen to it." Like, you know, next week when I get the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what are you doing right now? And I think any golfer you needs know? to make the time because what <laughs> yeah. you your your topic your your coverage of just everything that's going on with coronavirus and golf and and the way it's balanced is just so on point that anyone should listen to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate that little bump there. Um, but yeah, so when I first went over after I graduated from Notre Dame, uh, I played in Asian tour Q school and I also played in Korean tour Q school. And so, um, Asian tour Q school was on uh, an Island off of the Malaysian mainland called Kota Kinabalu, uh, which is, is, uh, part, partly owned by, um, the Malaysia, the, the island partly owned by the Malaysians, the island of Borneo. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's there's like this, this city, and then there's really nothing. It's just, I mean, as thick of jungle, you know, it's like, it's like Rambo. It's like as thick of jungle as you can mm-hmm. imagine. And, you know, it's like dirt roads, and there's really nothing out there, except like there was a, a, a Jack Nicholas golf course that was like three hours from the city of KK. And that is where they played um, one of the stages of Asian Tour Q School, the first stage. And so I got there, and this was wow. like my introduction to Asia. I went over, I stayed in Singapore, um, and then I stayed there for a little little while. I rented a place in uh, Kuala Lumpur, in Malaysia, capital of Malaysia, mm-hmm. uh, which was an experience unto itself. And so I lived there for the first few months I was playing in, in Asia, but I rented this place, uh, this like high-rise apartment on top of this mall in Kuala Lumpur, and it was the very top floor, and it was, I think it was late October, beginning of November at that time, and it started, uh, I like, I, I couldn't believe what a deal I got, it was just astounding, for like three months, it was 
$350 US or something like that <laughs> to rent this place. And this place was so cool. And it was on top of a mall and there was lots of food options and it was, I just felt like I had it made. And uh, then it started raining mm, one of the first the rain season. It's crazy there. Yeah, and the, the rain started seeping through the ceiling and the wall. Oh, no. <laughs> before you know it, you're like ankle deep in water. Oh, no. And this, went, this went on for months. There was monsoon season, and every, you know, almost every morning or every other morning, you know, you'd have buckets full of water, and you'd have a floor that needed mopping before oh. you could really start your day. And you have all your and luggage on the bed with you while you're sleeping. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it may, you know, create makeshift tarps yeah. around the apartment to keep it all dry. So, yeah, then I went from there over to playing Asian tour Q school. I, I actually got really sick over there. Um, and I, when I first got there uh, to this golf course, they had some rooms on site. Okay. And, you know, we had, we had taken a, uh, I was with my girlfriend at the time. We had taken a taxi all the way out to this place. And this place was stunning. It was right on the ocean. There were holes that where you had to play over the ocean. The wind really whipped. It was a really beautiful golf course. It was a Jack Nicklaus signature course. And uh, I loved everything about the golf course. But they were they had a few rooms on site, but it was a full, you know, a full field of two school players. And I had put in my reservation um, much earlier for a room and I got there and they didn't have my reservation. Obviously everything was super overbooked. Um, and so I was like, well, where am I supposed to stay for the tournament? They said, Oh, back in, in KK. I'm like, so what do I do with, you know, seven forty tea time? You're supposed to leave at three thirty in the morning to get here. Wow. And like people were doing that, you know, and it was Oof. just like, wow, you know, this is, this is kind of a, a shock. Didn't anticipate the grind. Yeah. Was and there- so then there was, yeah, exactly. Um, Thrown straight into the deep end, and there was a staff member there who said, "Look, there's this there's this little you know village that's not too far away. I can drive you out there if you want. It's not like you know it's not super comfortable, but you may find something there." Right. So it was like a old Land Rover. I got you know got driven out over the, these jungle roads in, and there was this little town with there's probably four buildings and just these little huts that people mm. lived in and this one main building it was it i think it served just a variety of purposes um you know it was like a mechanic shop and they had a couple of rooms to stay and there was like the town restaurant there you know and uh so nobody spoke a lick of english and the guy who drove me out there negotiated a room for me you know like for a dollar fifty a night plus meals wow and plus transportation um the only catch was and it seemed great because you know it wasn't far away i wasn't gonna have to commute six hours a day to and from the course <laughs> and it was like three. i don't care how bad this room is i'm gonna stay there yeah and we got up there and the this old building had these cinder block walls that were like knocked out out into the <laughs> you know open air and there was no screen, no netting, you know, in the jungle, mosquito, yeah. malaria-infested place. And uh, you slept on this bamboo uh, mat on the floor. With six others uh, in the room? 
No, no, it was. Uh, I had paid. I had paid the premium. You know, twenty five dollars <laughs> for my own room. <laughs> That's you know, I didn't cool. have a whole lot of competition at that time for uh, a place to stay. But man, I'd wake up every morning and there'd be all sorts of weird noises and things crawling around oh, me. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and and the plus, creepy crawlers. Creepy crawlers, and plus, I was sick. Oh, so I, you know, that was another obstacle. And lo and behold, like for some reason, over the the course of my golf career, when I'm against odds like that, I seem to play really well. And I think it has a lot to do with just fully letting go of expectation and worry. Right. Of, you know, either you know the pressure of getting into contention or doing going all that way and doing poorly. I think I just let go of all that stuff. Um. And so I happened to go out that weekend. I shot 16 under and, and won the, that stage of Asian tour school. Um, wow. wow. That's, imp- so that's that impressive. Was, that was, I was kind of interested in that actually, because just this whole adventure, I'm like thinking of how, how I would be preparing for golf while in a just cinder block place, like taking land rovers across the countryside, knowing that like, I got to go play in a golf tournament. I don't even know how I'd be able to piece it together. Like, I mean, you're talking about your first experience with culture shock in that environment. I mean, mine was in Bangkok. I'm stepping out in the middle of some random alley, sitting down for a bowl of noodles, and there's a rat looking over this bowl where this old lady's stirring this pot. And I'm like, oh, geez, thank God I'm going to play golf tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, and and you're wondering whether that, that rat or any members of his or her family have found their way into that bowl that you're eating out of. I believe it did, to be fa- to be honest with you, Mark. Uh, but it was good. Uh, <laughs> okay. It was tasty. I'm not going to question it. <laughs> Pretty much. So you shot 16 <laughs> under, and then what was what was this next after that? Yeah, so um, I went to final. That was the first stage, and I went to final stage. And I didn't gain full status. I had partial status. And, okay. uh, and then I went to, I went to Korean tour Q school right, right after that, which was also in Malaysia. And, mm. uh, this was kind of an interesting story as well, where, um, you know, there was like, they had a limited amount of cards and the Korean tour, it's, it's most recently gotten pressed for what B.O. Kim did. Oh, uh, I'm sure you guys remember this yeah. year when he flipped off, um, a, a, a fan for taking a picture when he was leading the tournament, coming down the stretch of one of the Korean majors. Yep. And, uh, you know, he got suspended for three years, which is essentially a ban. And then that got, that ruling got overturned and, and changed to a year. But that's why it's recently been in the news. But, you know, it goes back, it has quite a history. And there mm-hmm. weren't many international players, non Korean, that were playing there at that time. And so the, the Q school for international players and Korean players were totally separate. Really? And, and they had a limited amount of international players that they wanted to allow to play. And the segregation was in no way limited to um, who you competed against in Q school. Like once you get your status and you got up to, to South Korea to play, we had different hotels, we had different transportation schedules. We had one designated practice round time that if you, you didn't make, you didn't get to you didn't get to play the golf course, and you couldn't show up and just practice like that was not allowed unless you were Korean. Really? So there, yeah, were, all these, there were all these huge barriers, and just 
really quick. I don't want to dwell on it too much because it's so, it is so long ago, but the, it's kind of interesting. When I did go to this Q school, I had, coming on the heels of my first real event in Asia playing the, uh, the Asian Tour Q school, it came to the, I think I was maybe like the fourth to last or fifth to last group or something like that. And they had like seven full cards and, you know, another 13, 10 or 13 conditional cards. So, and you, and the co-sanctioned events were awesome. It was like all the, you know, the co-sanctioned majors in, in Asia. So you get these million dollar plus persons. So you really wanted to get those events. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was outside of that, you know, going in, I was maybe T15 or 16 or something. I played a decent round. It was super windy and they had predicted really bad storms coming in. And you could see as we were coming down holes at the end of the round that this front was coming in. And, mm-hmm. uh, I was, I was like right around even, one under on a pretty tough day. So I figured I'd move up a little bit. And the last hole was a brutal hole out of bounds down the right side, water down the left. And the second shot was like 25 yards uphill to this really narrow green. It was like a 460-yard hole that played, you know, almost 500 yards. Jeez. And, um, and so we got to that hole. And it was blowing pretty hard into us. You know, like let's say it was like 20 miles an hour into us. And I bogeyed the last. I'm like, oh, man, that's a bummer. I wonder how, if that's going to really cost me. And literally, I go sign my card. And this front opens up and it's thunder and it's lightning and it's hail and it's double the amount of wind and it's blowing, you know, and the rain's coming down sideways and pelting and like piercing skin, uh, you know, aggressiveness. And these, and they make the guys finish it. Everybody makes eight to like 12 on the last hole. (laughs) I go from like, you know, T12 to like T4. (laughs) <laughs> and it was just the most fortuitous, lucky thing ever. That's and, insane. Uh, so I, I, because of, you know, fate would have it, I spent most of my year that year playing on the Korean tour. Um, so that is, it, that is know, that, an insane was, story. Yeah, it was kind of kind of my intro uh, to life over there. Like coming down the stretch, making bogey, disappointed, but then you just step into the signing track and just, all so hell breaks explode. loose and they keep them going, right? Yeah, Don't yeah. stop. So, you know, when I, so I think there's like golfers get on the wrong side of the draw or they always think they get on the wrong side of the draw, right? It's like, oh man, you you know, you played in the afternoon yesterday and God, we had way more wind in the afternoon today. You get on the right side of the draw or the greens were so much worse in the afternoon today than they were yesterday when you had them. You know, and like golfers are always making, you know, mm-hmm. various claims and excuses like that to, you know, just kind of maintain and, uh, their, their confidence. But every time I think, man, I really had it rough this week. I get on the wrong side of the draw. I, get, I have to think back at moments like that. Yeah. You know, that makes up for so many times of getting on the wrong side of the draw. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you mentioned in the other podcast you were on that a lot of the Asian tour events that you were playing in were, Mainly down in Southeast Asia. Now, I'm not really understanding why they hold them down there compared to some of the other courses that are up north. But t- tell us about some of your favorite tracks that you played down there. Where, like, even off the course, like, what was some of your favorite spots that you got to visit while you were there, and why? Hmm. Yeah, the so- Southeast Asia and the Asian Tour. Well, firstly, the Asian Tour headquarters is in Singapore, and I think 
there's there's a lot of development opportunity in Southeast Asia for golf. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, where previously, like years ago, it might have been China, and um, you know, China, China was like this huge, huge emerging market. Let's say mm-hmm. like five to seven years ago, when Ledbetter and the golf schools went in there and set up shop, and like you know, just getting a hand in, guys were going over and teach giving lessons, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the juniors and helping them with their English while they were giving them golf lessons and making just absurd amounts of money while they were doing it. And, uh, you know, it it was an incredible uh, opportunity when it was boom time and that, you know, that's really, it's not the case there anymore. Um, Quite the opposite, I would say, for golf in China, certainly at the moment and in the last last year or so, last couple of years, the PGA Tour found out the hard way a couple of two years ago. Um, But Mm. Southeast Asia is a different story where I think it's a little more kind of like the Wild West and like Vietnam is just a huge emerging golf market and what China was to golfers are giving instruction years ago, Vietnam has been in the, in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's just, there's, there's people that are willing to invest in golf tournaments and, and show up. And there's so many beautiful places there that, you know, really stunning, like, isn't it? stunning, spectacular places, many that have been off the beaten path for such a long time that, um, you know, the, the tourism boards that they are built want to showcase that and there are developers that are willing to invest to do it. And so I think that's, you know, that's why the Asian tour has, has really made it a point of trying to stay around there as much as they can. And obviously, as the, we- the weather gets better up north, because it's so much colder in South Korea, Japan, most places in China, mm-hmm. um, that you can, you can host an event there at any time, right? Yeah, <laughs> the, but it's like hosting an event in almost any time. It's all it's like hosting an event in Orlando in July. You know, yeah. it's like so crazy. I'm sure, you know, so crazy humid and hot, and at any given time, the skies can open up and drop. You know, three inches of rain. Yeah, I mean, I did notice that. Like when I was in Southeast Asia, like you kind of you're touring around, you see all these courses around. You're like, who the hell is playing on these? And then when I was living in Sydney, and I go play golf there, and all you see is like Thai guys, a lot of Vietnamese, and you're like, oh yeah, I guess like golf is huge in Southeast Asia, and like now they're living elsewhere, and man, they they love to peg it, like, and they're pigs. Mm-hmm. They'll be out there every day. Man, they, you know, so many of them really do love it. What's one of the major differences you've noticed in like golf course design from Asia to North America? Um. You know, it just varies. It's, I think it's it's so nuanced. It's kind of like, you know, comparing one country to, you know, uh, another country in terms of culture. It's like, <clears throat> I would say that, you know, in, in like China, where they have so much rural farmland to be built on, you get uh, these holes that, you know, that the, 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 you can stretch golf courses out to 8,500 yards, just insanely long wow. holes. You can make long par fours. You can make, you know, short par fours. You can make long par fives with the exact same hole. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, uh, there's, and there's just there's also such variety in you know China, but in Southeast Asia, <laughs> I don't have Corona. No problem. As far as I know. <laughs> no problem. Um, oh my goodness. <laughs> 
Yeah. Like, everyone's wiping down their phone right now. Um, pretty pretty so, much. I've never been so aware of what I'm touching as I am at this point in my life. Yeah. When, you know, you bring groceries home and now you're like wiping everything down, you know? Yeah. Like I've never, I've never wiped every item that I've purchased down, but it almost incentivizes you not to get so many things when you go out to the grocery store, even though you know you need to get more because yeah. you don't want to have to go out more frequently. It's exactly. almost like you're back in Southeast Asia. Like when you buy a beer and you clean off the top of the can. Yeah. Like you yeah. always do. Gosh, and that, you know, that's one of the, as an aside, one of the many things to love about Southeast Asia. God, I just found, in terms of food, everything's Ugh. so convenient. There's so many hawker centers and so many street food places. And just You're never too far away from a place to grab a bite. That That's the thing I miss the most about there is just like, for one, the variety, two, the convenience and yeah, North America, it, it's just so difficult when you're like, oh, I'm really craving this. And you're like, wow, I got to go on a journey to find that. Yeah, we had this this crazy night where we walked and we found this. There was like a full-blown picnic just happening on the sidewalk. And the, this is in a, Bangkok. Yeah, in Bangkok. Yeah. And then we found this lady who's making these pork saute skewers. And we waited 45 minutes and had the most delightful picnic on a sidewalk in Bangkok that I've like... I miss that pork lady, world famous. It was was insane. Yeah, and and obviously, don't get me wrong. It's nice to be able to grab a burger now and again. Totally. uh, You know, once you you start to get used to eating bow, you know, or or, uh, just all the like incredible curries that they have over there and Mm -hmm. soups. If, man, if I could choose one type of food to eat, if I had to like be stranded on an island, like there's mm-hmm. only one nationality of food every day for the rest of my life, every meal would most certainly, undoubtedly, be Thai food. Yeah, Thai, could, Malaysian, could, those those two alone, you could live off comfortably for the rest of your man, life. I could live off cow soy for every meal forever, especially yeah. when you're up in Chiang Mai and just how it's prepared differently everywhere. And oh. Northern Thai food is wild. I miss getting that tray of condiments. Yeah. When you get soup and you're like, wow, I have four different kinds of soy sauce here. Like, yeah. <laughs> all the chilies and the vinegar and the sugar. And you're like, oh, please, I'll take all of it. I remember in Chiang Mai, I went to this little, my favorite restaurant in Thailand was in Chiang Mai. Went to this little back alley lady. There's a, the sweetest girl was working in 90 baht for a full spread. Like full, mm-hmm. everything you could dream of. Like, give me the Thai teas. So about three bucks. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. <laughs> and then we just give her like yeah double, right? Like at least because we love this lady. She was yeah. I wish I remembered her name. Yeah, uh, the, people, the people really are nice and accommodating there. But exactly. uh, you know, like the food, they're resourceful in how they they make their food, and um, the everything can be so spicy. But it's like. You know, when you talk to real like foodies who go over there and they they search for the really spicy stuff because it's not like here where you know you're going to go make something really you want to make something really spicy. Like anybody can just throw a whole like you know shitload of ghost pepper in. So can I can I swear on this mm-hmm. or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Freak that out. Okay, anybody can go throw like a whole shitload of ghost pepper in you know a, a dish and just melt your face, right? Mm-hmm. But. Uh, to do it with nuance and to do it where you can experience other flavors too, 
is while it's melting. It's like a, yeah, while it's melting your eyeballs, and yeah. while it feels like you somebody put Vaseline on the inside of your eyelid, it's like mm-hmm. it's like a euphoric, you yeah. know. It's an uh, emotional experience. experience. Yeah, you're preaching the <laughs> choir, man. I'm that guy. I I crave the spicy. Like I like food. My food, I'd like it to torture me a little bit. Like I'm obsessed yeah. with that. But, but, but See, golf. But getting back to your question, because uh, I know yeah. this podcast is not about food. And, oh, yeah. uh, it can my, be. I'm, my I'm bad. Not, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a chef, uh, as my wife will tell you. But the the golf is very kind of. Um, you know, diverse over there as well, where like the type of grasses you play on, right? Like you play in this crab grass, you can play in this crab grass that's reserved for like, you know, lawns in central Florida, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah. with the, the, it's just like this, those really thick kind of nasty blades of grass. that's really full. Wiry. You know, like golf ball. Yeah. A wiry where a golf ball can just go straight to the bottom of it. You can't, you can't possibly get it out. Um, and then in the fairway, the, the you know the blades get really thin, uh, not not thin, but like the uh, the density of them is really thin. The blades themselves are thick, but it's you the the strike pattern that you have to have is totally different than it is you know kind of anywhere else because it's really like digging at it. They're, they're like re- yeah, they're really dirty lines, right? <laughs> um, and so and so you know you can just get that that swing where you, you dig a little too deep, and all of a sudden your face is covered. And it wasn't even that bad of a swing. Did you have a course down so, there that you really just loved playing, whether it be on the tour or off? One that uh, really I stood out for you? Clearwater Bay in Hong Kong is just stunning. It's, they call it the Pebble Beach in Asia. Cool. Very cool. Um, and it's, it, man, it is such an incredible piece of property. It's, these holes on the front line kind of wind out on this, uh, this bluff, this like peninsula. And you play along the ocean, and then you play along the bay, and then you go on the back nine, and you can see um, Kowloon and Hong Kong in the distance across the bay. Um, and the, the ocean doesn't come into play, but you get like these really severe undulation changes, and almost every, you know every shot has is up or down, and uh, you get these cliffs that you're playing around. And it, it is such a stunning piece of property. Um, and you, you know, the, the guys who, the, the members there certainly paid for that stunning piece of property. It's not a place mm-hmm. that you can just, uh, you know, pay 500 bucks and, and walk on like, like Pebble, but it is really stunning. Now, I mean, I don't want to, we c- I could go on about the Asia tour to be honest for the rest of this pod, but yeah, I was I'll, I'll dive same. in with one last one here. I mean, here on the four jack, we are big fans of the caddies. We, we like to support them. We like to chat with them and. We've heard that you have a really good caddy now on the Corn Ferry Tour, but what was your caddy situation like when you were over there? Was it like a new guy every day? Was it, did you speak English or were you hoofing your own bag? So when I first moved over there, as I mentioned, I had, I was traveling with my girlfriend who I had met over there. She was my girlfriend at the time and uh, she was Taiwanese. So after I lived in Kuala Lumpur for a while, I moved to Taipei and moved in with her family. Mm-hmm. And you know, I say girl, she was she was obviously a woman. She was five or six years older than I at the time. Um, but she caddied for me for the first probably three months over there. No way. And the the amazing thing 
um, that it's such a culturally specific thing is that the vast majority of caddies are women over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've mm. heard that. That is interesting. I didn't know that. In China, you'll get kind of a, you know, a stray man here and there, but the vast overwhelming majority in every country that I can think of right now are women. And, uh, you know, it's funny because there, there's so many of them that are four foot nothing, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, pull, they're pulling your bag around. They don't, they don't carry it. They, everything is, is on trolleys and, you know, push carts, pull carts over there. Yeah. But they're, the pull carts are as big as they are in many cases. <laughs> and they're all bundled up, you know, with face masks and these visors. And uh, um, it can be 120 degrees outside. And they're wearing three different layers. Uh, you know, uh, long sleeve, full pants, everything. Um, so they were they were outfitted for Corona before Corona existed. <laughs> Keeping that skin you as know? white as can be, washing it with uh, yeah. with the with the uh, skin whitener as well. Don't yeah. worry about that. I think the PGA Tour <laughs> needs to take a look at what was going on back then yeah. and maybe start implementing some of these changes so we can get you guys back out there golfing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's a good point too. How the paleness of skin is reflective in uh, some of the cultures of, of beauty over there. And so they must've looked at me being like, you know, an albino vampire. <laughs> yeah. You know, friend... and, and, and for once in my life, I was uh, in the high end of attractiveness. Yeah. Tall, tall, white. Yeah. Our, our bud Chris over here was using the bleach whitening cream for quite some time. <laughs> I didn't know I was using it. I remember, yeah. Mark, I remember going to see uh, Chris overseas after a number of years. And I've always, I've been in Edmonton for years, so I'm not getting any winter sun. So I'm as white as white can be. And I go see him in May of 2016 in Bali and... I see him and the first thing I say to him is, man, how, how come you don't have a tan? And he's like, bro, I'm, I'm dark as dark can be. And we hold arms compared to side each other and I'm so much darker than him. And he's like, dang, he's like, I don't know. Maybe it's the soap. And he goes and checks his soap and he's been using the bleaching soap. And he's like, dang. He's like, but it smelled so good. It's that beautiful Lux soap, man. Like That shit's the bomb. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't realize that so many of the sunscreens over there have the, the whitening bleach in it. Oh, I <laughs> hate so, it, man. Yeah, yeah, so you think that the sunscreen's working, you don't realize that your skin's being painted. <laughs> <laughs> I used to pay a premium for soap so that it didn't have the whitener in it. It was ridiculous. I was like, get this shit away from me. I'm out here to get yeah. a tan. That's too funny. Um, so are you, we'll, are you, guys all, you guys are, are not all in Edmonton, are you? We are, yeah. We are now. Chris oh, was, okay. we, we kicked this thing off. Chris was living in Australia and uh, we started the pod. I was in my car. He was sitting in my bed, sitting in his bed, <laughs> yeah. doing it over the phone. And then he, we suddenly uh, convinced him to come back here and get this thing going. Wow. I don't know if you re- if you knew this, but my wife is from Edmonton. Her, her family is all back there now. Oh, no way. Yeah. Well, yeah, where did they play golf? They play golf up here, right? They do, yeah. They're all they're they're out at the Edmonton CC. Okay, shout uh, out Ruben. Oh yeah, yeah. And they're all. I mean, they're just the most wonderful people. Um, and and actually, um, you know, I, I haven't really mentioned them a whole lot. I, I think I'm saving it for like a big, you know, a really big finish. Yep, so absolutely. Are, are we talking out, about but, your? Are we talking about your wife or the golf club? Oh <laughs> no, uh, yeah, yeah. My, my, my wife. My wife gets the shout out. 
<laughs> every time I open my mouth, and if I don't, it's a terrible mistake on my part. <laughs> what I what I what I put that amazingly amazingly resilient woman through um, is something else. But no, her her family um, they're all they're a huge golf families too, and it's actually uh, kind of a, a neat little story. But um, they so I was up playing on the Canadian tour in 2010 when they played at the Edmonton CC, and it, you know all of the groups had the, the scorekeepers. And this, this really nice woman who was keeping our score, like I was playing well, so I was a little um, outgoing and talkative and I was chatting it up with her and she knew a lot about golf and her daughter had tried to play professional golf and missed getting her P- LPGA tour card by a shot. And uh, I just we just kind of hit it off. And then on the, I know you will all be familiar with the old 11th green at the Edmonton Country Club. That was my favorite. The three down the hill with the, just, oh, this, this, right, right. That little this, one. This is like a, this is like a 5% pitch across the whole yeah. you know, grade, across the whole green. I used to love taking and like a six iron and just sting it into that back hill and hopefully it didn't plug and so it would just roll <laughs> back down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And, and so, if, yeah, if you didn't come up short of that, it's been, your ball didn't end up short of that green. You had no chance to play it. So my ball is kind of in the middle of that green. And I'm standing over the pot, and I see my ball move. So I back off, and this is at the time when, you know, that was a penalty, so I call it. And by the end of the round, this, this blonde girl has shown up, and she's following around. And, um, you know, I took notice of her, but didn't really think much of it. And, oh, it was probably one of the other guys in the group's girlfriends or something. And then the next day, she follows around again. This is Saturday, and so we had repaired and the only common denominator between the group the day before and the group that day was, was me. So I went up and introduced myself and, you know, like, how did you end up coming out to this, this event? And she's like, Oh, well, about halfway through the day yesterday, I got a call from my grandma. She said, Hey, Sarah, I'm out here at this tournament, you know, doing some scorekeeping. And there's this guy out here and he hits the ball a long way and he's really on it. So I think you should come watch him play. Mm-hmm. That Marky Mark energy. Mark, it just goes to show <laughs> that chicks dig the long ball. <laughs> <laughs> that's all That's all it was right there, for sure. Exactly. But nothing to do with Well, with let's all give a huge <laughs> shout-out to Sarah, right? Sarah, exactly. big shout-out for yeah. being a gr- being willing to, to ride with Mark on this journey. And and, uh, and, and her family. And her family. Wonderful supporters. Well, and I think that's a really good transition here. Uh, obviously, like you said, you off air, you have a new a newborn in the house and a little boy. Do uh, I believe little Miles? Little Miles. Little Miles. Yeah. He's, so, uh, how is that? Today. There you go. Nice. He's just coming into form. I'm just telling him stories about the long ball. <laughs> <laughs> Bedtime stories of the long ball. Man, but, every, uh, night, every night feels like. You know the the ultimate long ball just drags, just <laughs> they, they drag into years for these nights. Exactly. How has it been? We'll transition as well on to your, I guess, new career as well. But how has it been being a parent now? I mean, obviously, perfect timing with that stoppage. But even with Sarah being pregnant, kind of coming in to that as well as being on the corn ferry, like how did that all go for you so far? Yeah. The you know, the stoppage was interesting. And I mentioned this on the, the Golf Digest podcast, but I'll, I think it's worth repeating um, that 
you know, what the, the, the due date was scheduled right after the, the event in Mexico. And after you get, gain your top 40 finish at final stage of Q school, you're guaranteed eight starts on mm-hmm. the Cornberry Tour. And you don't get to pick and choose those eight. The eight that it's you the get first the first eight. of the season, no matter <laughs> what. What a grind. Are. So those, you know, this was a, Mexico is the sixth event of the season and miles being scheduled for the week after had he have come early because Sarah had been nine months at that point that I went to Mexico. And at that point, miles could have come at any time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would have had to have left that event in Mexico. We we thought a little bit about me not going at all, but um, and honestly, once I got down there, and it's like Tuesday turned into Wednesday, and that's when all the coronavirus news was really ramping up. Where like there was lots of discussion of it well before Mexico, but where you started to see it overwhelm mm-hmm. the media was really when that week we were in Mexico, and like Tuesday turned into Wednesday, and I was like, man. I'm almost, you know, wondering if they're going to like think about not playing this event, you know? Right. Um, International travel. Yeah. And so we'd be checking every day to see what the cases were, were there any cases in Mexico near us? And I had a tour official prearranged to come get me off the golf course. Should Sarah had, you know, contacted the tour and said that things were, were starting to ramp up. And so fortunately that didn't happen, you know, and I had a great first couple of days. I was, T4 going into the weekend. Um, I was really hoping that at that point he didn't come. Uh, <laughs> right, that so, that thunderstorm that happened in Asia wasn't going to balance out today. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the karma wasn't going to come back around. <laughs> and uh, it, what was, it was, that was so important, that event, because I hadn't secured really starts beyond. I, I'd made two cuts up to that point, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, might have it might have secured me some spots in the next four after those eight events had I not made another cut. But it was unlikely to, to really solidify anything. And so that week was really important given that I'm, I wasn't sure when he, you know, what, what were his issues going to be? What was being a new parent? What was that going to be like? Would I be able to go to the next two events? You know, how would everything go with Sarah? So that Mexico event was the all-important week. And uh, to, to have that finish took all the pressure off mm-hmm. once, you know, once we got going two weeks later again. Um, because I knew that if I had to skip out on those events, I was going to be guaranteed starts for pretty much the rest of the season. Which has um, got to be a big so, weight off your shoulders to just so now it kind of changes the dynamic of what's going on right now. You get a little more time to appreciate the time you have to focus on being a new dad, right? Rather than... Because I, I know right. in the Golf Digest podcast, you told me like you were sponsoring Visa, MasterCard, and American Express, right? And the stress that that brings on you to like then, yeah, just be in it, knowing I could potentially be having a baby get pulled off the golf course. This is super important to me. But I think one thing we've learned about you is when all hell is breaking loose, that's when you seem to play your best. Yeah, and I, I hope that continues to be the case because it seems like we're going to go through some hell for a little while. Absolutely. Uh, but, but you know, the I won't, I won't rehash all the economics that we talked about on the last podcast, but the financial pressures that Corn Ferry Tour players, and I know you guys are big supporters of Caddies, 
and it can't be stressed enough. Like right now, like they're, I'm sure they're going through the hardships that so many who are, you know, faced with the realities of unemployment are right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like they can just go find another job right now. No, right. Exactly. Um, you know, they're, they're going through some really tough stuff and unlike players who are likely to get some help from the PGA tour at some point down the road, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure the extent that caddies will. So Mm -hmm. their safety nets are even fewer than players. And, uh, you know, the, the economic realities for players are on the corner tour are that if you're paying rent, you know, and you have a family, you have kids, like it's tough sledding out there, man. It's tough to turn a profit. Yeah. A lot of people are paycheck to paychecking, right? Just, just working for that day. That's going to come down the road where they find their Mark Baldwin, they start climbing the ranks and then like, finally all that hard work is paid off. But then when you have a global crisis, when you're in the middle of that grind, it's very scary. Right. And, you know, I mentioned my uh, in-laws before, and this year Sarah and I were uh, thinking about where, you know, where will we live next? We're mm-hmm. looking at places and Sarah's family, you know, they were like, look, it makes no sense for you guys to go out and spend money on a place. Right. You know, we, they, they own a house here in Phoenix and we're living under their roof. And it is, you know, it, it, it's not like something that, I, I I say is, um, you know, I, I certainly don't want to like overemphasize like how uh, difficult things can be, but ha- should we be paying, you know, the full price of rent right now, um, mm-hmm. you know, up into Mexico? I don't, I mean, my, I don't know what my, how leveraged I'd be. My debt would be astronomical. And it's like through, you know, the, the grace of, and the generosity of, of my family, my in-laws, that I'm able to do what I'm doing. And like, I'm so incredibly fortunate, but like a lot of people aren't right. And so Mexico was massive to earn, you know, almost $20,000 when I have a, a new little one on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah so just that, that, Sorry, Mark, my, my apologies, my apologies. Remember, I was just going to say with your, with your Edmonton ties and Corona and businesses and it's all related, unrelated. I just heard a crazy stat on the radio the other day that they said that, Three percent of businesses in Edmonton, for example, have already closed their doors forever, and they believe on a recent survey taken from March twenty fifth to March thirty first or whatever it was that forty seven percent of small businesses believe that they're going to have to close their doors forever because of this. And so, yeah, you, your heart goes out to caddies and peoples and individuals so so much. Yeah, yeah. just want just, just want to say that. Just cr- yeah, it is so it's sobering. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the, the, the nice thing though now is that I've got this little guy, everything was so fantastic at the hospital, you know, despite that there were like, you know, um, protocols that were ramping up to keep patients safe there. And obviously when you're having, uh, your first child or any child right now during, uh, this crazy time, like there, there's so much to be concerned about. I don't think you'd ever choose. Like we thought, Sarah and I thought that we had timed this perfectly and everybody said that. And, you know, they're like, oh man, you, 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 the little one is due during the break. break. You guys have four. Like, how smart are you guys? And you planned this perfectly, right? Tongue in cheek. And we're like, oh yeah, you know, we couldn't have planned this better. We just didn't account for the global pandemic coming down the road. 
the old black swan. (laughs) Now, I know you kind of went over this on uh, the other podcast as well, but I'm just going to go right into this and like ask an honest opinion of this, like maybe the hardest question I'm going to ask you today. With the spread of wealth among the PGA Tour and the Corn Ferry, your honest opinion, quick to the point, do you believe that there should have been more of a spread of wealth towards the Corn Ferry instead of the PGA Tour, or do you believe that how they did it was fitting? You mean just with the disparity between the purses? Yeah, well, not, not even the purses, but like... Like what the PGA Tour did with with the FedEx Cup, and or even with the players, how they kind of just went, oh, here's oh, 50, oh, oh. 53,000, 54,000 for everyone. Do you think that money should have just gone straight down to the Corn Ferry the minute this thing happened, instead of giving it to anyone inside the top 75 on tour? I mean, I think that that would that would be really helpful for people who really need it. Yeah. You know, uh, like I said, like I said on the uh, the other podcast, like uh, I recognize what's generating the marketing dollars, and those guys out there, they, you know, so many of them have paid their dues and and they've earned mm-hmm. their spot. But like, I think if you talk to any officials that are out there watching the Corn Ferry Tour week in week out, and that also spend time in the PGA Tour, they're going to tell you that there's just a very marginal difference between the players. And I'm not talking about like the top 10, top 15 in the world players, no. you know, that are on the PGA Tour. Those guys are on a different level. They kick everyone's ass in junior golf. They kick everyone's ass in amateur golf. And they kick, kick everyone's ass in professional golf. But I'm talking about like the top players, you know, that are getting earning their status on from the Corn Ferry Tour. Those guys are ready to win on the PGA Tour. There's not much difference between who's ready to win week in, week out between the mm-hmm. top guys in the Corn Ferry Tour and, you know, the guys between that aren't, like, in the top 15, top 20 in the world that are playing on the PGA Tour. So I just think that you see this, like, ridiculous disparity in purse that is being played for, but the right. disparity in actual skill level is pretty marginal. It's so tight. Um, I mean, especially when you look at even some of the recent graduates from the Corn Ferry, you look at Lantel Griffin and Scotty Scheffler. They've both sniffed it this year on the tour, and... It's not like it was, oh, you had a brief little sniff. It, it was close. Like, they were a stroke or two away from winning and in big events. So there's nothing saying that they aren't as good as the big guys. It's just the consistency and the amount of time that they spent on tour. Right. And those top players in the world that I mentioned, they are, they, the consistency week in, week out is really a differentiator, right? Whereas, like, I'm talking about guys that can, you know, that can win and can have a really successful career and that can sell golf clubs and that can be on, you know, uh, in TV ads and, and, and um, that can have that career that so many professional golfers, like why all professional golfers set out, like that's the dream. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that while I, we all understand like which logo, the PGA tour logo is bringing in the ad dollars. I also think like, if you give a guy as a bonus, you know, 1.5 million or 1.1 million, like that extra 400 K just doesn't really make a big difference in their overall lifestyle. But, you know, if you, you know, you throw 4k, you know, 10k to a guy right now on the corporate tour, that's like life saving, life altering dream, you know, dream chasing, 
gift of making is what that is. Yeah, and, uh, I completely so, agree with you. Yeah, it, cert- it certainly would be nice if it was more equitable in that way. Well, maybe the four jack will get on to uh, a petition here to get uh, the PGA Tour and the players to start uh, sending some money down to the Corn Ferry Boys because we know that you guys deserve it and you guys work just <laughs> but, as hard as any of them. You know, and, and, Amen. and that, you know, that, 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 being, that being said, like, uh, Alex Baldwin is doing a really fantastic job and she's doing the absolute best she can with a really tough hand that she's been dealt here in her first, like, full season on the Corn Ferry Tour. But we were scheduled to play more events more money and you know anybody saying that it would be nice for it to be more equitable should not take away from the hard work that those people um who are really acting in you know the best of their abilities and in really good faith are doing totally and it's it's just a complicated thing when the coronavirus rolls into town right because i i just know i remember you saying on the golf digest podcast that yeah it's just unfortunate that the front end of the season for you guys is a lot of traveling and resort staying and then the higher purses kind of come later towards the season. So it's just try and figure out everyone's kind of in this together where we don't know. It's just this is the reality of the situation you guys are faced with playing on the court yeah. ferry. And it'd be nice to like work something out where people aren't destitute by the end of this, right? And to just add to that sentiment and to the question about, you know, uh, the the distribution between tours, the, a real like golf, like professional golf landscape altering event was when you could no longer attain your PGA tour status through Q mm-hmm. school. That yeah. changed professional golf. And I uh, think it's a mistake not to have it. And, uh, it's just to, to think like that there wouldn't be a light at the end of that Q school tunnel beyond just, getting some corn fairy tour start is uh right it's really it surprising. makes the road there, a little know, longer than it needs to be maybe to think that you know if you go win q school you can't you shouldn't get a some, some starts in the pga tour is is just really strange to me mm-hmm. um especially given that so there's there's guys out there you know and granted they've had long successful careers and they've gained their spots in alt field events because of how many cuts they've made or because of their career earnings. But some of these people that are teaming up in PGA tour events, you know, they're just going there for like, you know, their best case scenario is like, they're going to make the cut maybe. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And and so hoping, hoping to make that cut. Right. And, and so for somebody who has, been through the ringer of Q school and one, I mean, you know, to, to not be able to find one card out there to, to, you know, put a carrot at the end of that long daunting process. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that that can't work. Now that no, being said, I, I think the counter argument, the counter argument is like, look, you go, you have to go play for a full year um, and show that kind of skill and that those kind of, uh, finishes to be able to gain that um and that's that's what the argument is right now and that argument won out and so there's no point really in going back and, and i guess um criticizing or yeah complaining but i think that that conversation should be fluid and should be open because that is something that could make a major difference in people going to q schools lives as well 
One thing that I also think about that is interesting is just we now live in the age of social media and I'm sure people are on social media more than ever right now. And this is where I think the four jackets kind of becoming clear to me and our, our discussions we like to have with caddies is building those brands, right? Like everybody has their own brand. And I think now you don't have to rely as much on like the golf network to build your brand, right? Or CBS, like obviously getting coverage on that is going to help and, that's why it's awesome that you were on golf digest, but like building these personalities, connecting with people in the industry, then maybe you start to develop the relationships you need to get like to become the priority. Right. And I think that can happen many ways. Like you look at the Taylor guys who were doing trick shots and how they ended up getting, they built this whole other thing. That's like, Oh, now they're known for that. And maybe I think Mark Baldwin's going to be the stand up comedian because you're hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone can certainly use a laugh right now. Totally. And, you know, that's, hey, uh, the extent of my skills are fairly limited, but I know that I can make people laugh right now. And so I may not be able to go track down 500,000 pieces of personal protective equipment for doctors in need, mm-hmm. but I think that I can make some of those doctors that I know, you know, forget the dire circumstances that they're in. Yeah. Even if rem- it's for two minutes. And know what they're fighting for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I say too, Mark, that I might not be able to wash my hands, but I'll be able to make you laugh. But one thing that I know that you don't tolerate, Mark, or you don't find hilarious is slow play. <laughs> I'm yeah, reading here that, you're, of- that, you, that you, like a good, you like a good pace of play. Uh, <laughs> us too. There, there are some rules officials who might uh, argue with that point, but I hope not too many. Yeah. We're on board with you full, full-heartedly, to be yeah. fair. Like, we, we like to attack the slow play. Sometimes I don't know if I am a slow player. I've I, seen I, you go slow. Yeah, I know I've gone <laughs> slow, so it's like, I, yeah, it's hard for me to have an opinion there. Well, I mean, while but, we're talking about play of- and... You've obviously played with Tom before we get into what you're doing during this break, but uh, why don't you give us a review on Tom's game like in the time that you did play with him? I'm sure Mark has forgotten. Uh, I mean, sure, there's something there to be talked about. Like Tom was in the peak of his game, apparently, at that time. Not that day. I was nervous. Uh, You know, the funny thing about... um, We play these pro-ams every week, right? And people make that comment like, oh, man... I don't normally play like this. I'm just, I'm so nervous. To <laughs> play with you. And, and you know, it's like people who are actors or people who are doing important things in the world or, you know, CEOs of companies. And it's like, man, you face more like pressure uh, in, within a span of an hour in your typical day than you should feel out here. And somehow you're nervous when you're around me. And it's, I think that sentiment is, is pretty well, um, you know, universal, if you want to generalize the feeling of a pro-am player, amateur. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying he was shaky out there that day? What? I'm just, you know, I'm just saying that <laughs> not, every, not always at your best. Very democratic of you. I like that. I'm, Listen, I'm saying for, that I, would have, I would expect that if I were to give him a shot a hole tomorrow, he would probably take my money. <laughs> 
Maybe, I don't like taking people's money in the, yeah, unless I truly earn it. I so. can tell you that's a lie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Cody can. Yeah, Cody can. Uh, tell hey, you how, how, how uh, when does it look like, let's just set aside coronavirus, when would it look like courses would be open in Edmonton? Could you go play anytime soon? If oh, we're a month out. Allowed? We're about a month, month out. out. We, we were, there was a possibility like uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, like it was getting warm and then it, we hit another cold snap, got like close to a foot of snow and it dropped to, you know, feels below. Feels like January. Yeah. Still tons of snow. Perfect time to be yeah. isolated inside. We can't even get out to a golf course yet. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, yeah. the Glendale just tweeted a message out here that last year they had no snow and yeah, we've got, they have like 28 centimeters on top of the entire course right now so yeah we're not even close no it doesn't really change your lifestyle all that much no no tom and i've been hitting tennis balls into a garbage bin the last few days so i mean that's keeping us busy we've been actually getting really into urban golf like literally if golf doesn't happen because of whatever's going on in the world with coronavirus which i hope we figure that out whether it's safety protocol to like allow people to continue life semi regularly and we build the infrastructure to support that. But worst case, Chris and I found a new hobby of playing urban golf with tennis balls because you don't have to worry about hitting cars and hitting a golf shot's hitting a golf shot. It's it's, it's all relative, right? Like the ball doesn't fly as far, but like you got to put a move on it. I love it. I think that's brilliant. And, have you guys seen Tiger Hood? No. Tiger, Tiger, Tiger Hood? Hood from Tiger Hood from uh, from New York City. He's uh, he's the goat of urban golf. He plays with milk cartons. Okay. And he just goes. He's got a mat and he's got milk cartons. And he goes around the city with uh, you know his his little makeshift bin, his, his, which is his goal, his hole. Yeah, he brings his hole. Yeah, he, he hits these milk cartons all around the city, and he, he has people, like, he'll go up to, you know, a cop working uh, across a street corner, and he'll get him hitting golf shots on, on milk cartons. Wow. And everyone just loves him. Like, he's, he's become kind of a viral sensation. There was this documentary that was made about him. I mean, Will Smith went and sought him out. Um, really? All these, all, you know, there's a bunch of golf-crazy celebrities who have gone to find him. Because it's like the ultimate democratization that where there are no barriers to entry and he's just bringing joy and a golf swing around to people in the city. And it's, I'm sure, you know, it's a different story right now as it is with everybody, but um, it's, a, it's a really, the documentary actually is really beautiful. It's only like 20 minutes long. I think you can find it on Vimeo. It's okay. certainly worth just going and tracking down. Vimeo Tiger Hoods. We're going to have to check that out because, yeah, I love, like, one of the things we always talk about is, yeah, how do you grow the game? And obviously, Black Swan coronavirus came in and affected things. But, like, even just going on a walk, I take my golf club and my tennis ball and just swing it. And it's, like, golf is a beautiful sport because of the time you spend with people, the integrity aspect of it. And even if you have a tennis ball land in, in like, a, fried egg lie in the snow like i'm gonna go try and hit this as best as i can right like i think those are good fundamentals and it's nice to know that maybe there's something you can do where it's just yeah it's more 
accessible to people where you can just go buy one club at a discount store or wherever it is and like that'll get you going with learning how to swing a golf club right mm-hmm. but and I'm, uh, glad we, you're, you're, I'm glad you're walking down the streets in canada with a golf club and not getting fined that brings that if we had a golf ball in our hand we would <laughs> tennis did ball we might that, be okay did you see that article on golf golf digest today about the no. town in Toronto Mm-mm. no tell us about there's it a, there's an ordinance in the town let me see if I can find the name of the town where you can get fined a hundred thousand dollars for playing golf what and if what? you're walking down the street with a golf club or they close all the parks so you can still walk down the street but if you are caught walking down the street with a golf club, you can be fined a thousand dollars. I know if they have that up here a lot. Like you'll see the signs, no golfing in these parks, but I've never yeah. heard of the fine itself. I see you just posted that on Facebook, actually. Brampton, Ontario. Greater well, Toronto area. Yep. Population of six hundred and three thousand three hundred forty six. And I did post it on Facebook because I read the thing, and you know, it's, it's kind of funny, um, but also points to the severity of, of the moment. But then you get to the end of the article, and there's this little, one of the last sentences is, for citizens of the U.S. reading this post, 100000 Canadian dollars is equivalent to a still stratosphere $70,336.60 in USD based on current exchange rate. I love that sentence so much because it's like, it's like for those of you who think, you know, I'd roll the dice for a hundred grand. Canadian. Grand and Canadian money is still a shitload of money. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah, I would not be, I'd be going to jail if they (laughs) issued me a $70,000 ticket for carrying a golf club. I'd be like Rosa Parks. Well, there is a story here right now that in at Chidok Civic Golf Course, a guy was caught playing golf, and he got fined $880 for his round. This is where... For $880, like the, bucks, you, you can go play Pebble. pebble. And I'm going to Pebble, free. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think, I'm, think that's where you just, I guess, we need to pony up and get a sim. Right. Cheaper, right? I, don't, I don't need to go outside. <laughs> yeah, Mark, that leads me to an interesting question. Are you doing anything right now in order to keep your game sharp? Um, well, I think that the uh, the motion, uh, if, if you do it properly, of rocking your son to sleep, mm-hmm. you can really improve your, your posture. Mm, yeah, I like you that. Know, so, so he cries a lot when he's when he's static and you're not moving, but mm. man, the second you start bouncing and you start rotating, he is just in heaven. I think that um, is good for your golf game. So Slow I've been putting turn. my butt up. Yeah, I've been putting my butt up against a wall or something behind me, and I've just been kind of rotating and and working on that motion in slow motion. Sick. That's brilliant. Sick. And uh, yeah, I really I, I think it's going to do wonders. Oh, I think so as well. Good video content as well. Just put a club in between your shoulders and hold the baby. I mean, you might have a really nice piece of training material there. Yeah. There's a lot of good dad jokes that can be made, you know, and I can get away with them now. 
Yeah. And, and when you make a bad dad joke, it's like, oh, well, he's a dad. Like, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to criticize him for it. So I got to take that. They almost admire you for it, right? <laughs> like, well played, sir. It's a it's a fine it's a fine line, isn't it? How like uh, yeah, I I make a joke and I'm not funny. I'm just not funny, right? But if I had a kid, I'd just be like, oh, what a dad joke, silly dad, <laughs> <laughs> silly dad. <laughs> now it's just stupid, Cody. <laughs> yeah, you know, Cody's been up for however long he's been up trying to get his you know his son to do X, Y, and Z, and he's just tired, man. That's all. But, exactly. Uh, You're gonna have to get, get the little rest, rocker, take him to the range with you. Oh yeah! Oh, that'll happen for sure. Definitely. This, this, you, this kid's gonna grow up on a driving range. Yeah, he's gonna be a long bomber 2.0. Are you gonna be trying to get out there and at least uh, work on the game during this break, or are you gonna try and really focus on taking some time away from the game and spend time with the family? So far, it's just been taking time away from the game, but it's that's been so much out of necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. I, I had, I've mentioned. Uh, the, the corn fairy tour did an article about little little miles and you know it's going to be something we point back to when he's the 2042 u.s open champion or <laughs> hopefully participant i love and it we're going to say you see you are destined for this dude this was always going to happen i mean there was an article on pga tour written about you when you were born yeah but, that's very interesting Laying the foundation for little miles, yeah. right? It's, it's been a, written in the scrolls yeah. of time. <laughs> yeah, the get him those yeah. sponsor exemptions right out because dad got there and then he wrote the letter, right? Did the article back in the day. The desert sand painted the picture. Do you think yeah. do you do you think in the, in the Hindu in the Hindu Gita it is written? Exactly. <laughs> One thing that stood out to me also, Mark, about you is that you I, you hold the all time individual scoring record at Notre Dame is that correct um I did until I did hold that record until this year and this this current Notre Dame golf team has decided to just go blow every record out of the water um this fall so really this year I'm just I'm just a has-been now oh yeah sorry yeah we can't even talk about that sorry Mark my bad (laughs) (laughs) that's good to know the Notre you should start following the Notre Dame golf team because then that that was always something to laugh about before. Like, oh, this team has potential this year. That's what they always said about our team. Uh, but this current Notre Dame team is really good, and it's uh, you know it's such a bummer for them, especially the seniors who aren't going to get to play out the, the remainder of their season. Yeah, you know, especially yeah. when they're one of the top teams in the country. But uh, it's any certainly stand- any standouts we should be looking for in the future. Um, you know, it's all the, some of the names are, are escaping me right now. We'll take a look. Yeah. Ourselves. We'll do a deep that's dive. A, that's a crazy question. But the score, but the score, the scores tell you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, clearly. They're, 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 they raise my eyebrows for sure. It's good to know Notre Dame's golf is in good hands right now, but I think it is. I think that pretty much covers it. I know you probably got to get back to uh, little miles, right? Got to work on your swing, get them in the rocking position, and enjoy the rest of your day. Oh. Yeah, it sure would be nice to actually be able to work on my swing, try to try to get them down <laughs> get for it. a little a little sleep, dreaming about the 2042 U.S. Open. <laughs>
Exactly. Uh, like just telling them stories. I what? baby, I would watch my nephew for a lot, and it's it is interesting the connection you build with like an infant child, especially and, your own. Yeah, not even my own, but especially just talking, <laughs> talking to him, and just like yeah, that would be, I'd like to be there. You should start recording your talks with your your child or before bed and posting those. I think write them down. Funny. Write them down. Do and, something and posting them. So <laughs> Tom, yeah. Tom really wants yeah. someone in this isolation quarantine, a kid, a dog, someone yeah. <laughs> to just speak just, his truth to, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but, All right, I've but, got so I go. Uh, I've got some two questions for you guys. One is any advice for a new dad on, uh, you know, how to make those conversations better. So he'll actually get to sleep. Uh, well, I can start this off and say that none of us are dads, so don't take our advice seriously. <laughs> yeah, definitely um, not. Oh, a dad yeah. I, I can't even find a girlfriend, Mark. Never mind. Give your father <laughs> the advice. <laughs> I'm a great uncle. For sure, I'm any, a good uncle. I any will uncle say that advice, as well. like uh, I'll put a kid to sleep, right? But I've never been good with them when they're infants. I like them when they're a little bit older, when I can play golf with them or like fight with them. But uh, yeah, infant, uh, I like them better after they have some neck stability. Yeah, the neck yeah. always worries me. I, I would, I would say, hold the neck. Yeah, protect that. Hold the head. Hold the head up. But uh, getting them to sleep, man. I was with my nephew at Christmas time, my new one, and. Yeah, that, that child did not like me. I tried everything, so I, my advice is totally irrelevant. Mine is Godspeed, man. Yeah, Godspeed. Safe, safe so, travels. So, yeah. so for everyone out there, just don't go there in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Don't. I think it's got to be All a right. rewarding journey, right? But I just haven't gotten there in life because my life is just absolute chaos right now. It would be irresponsible to bring a child into that. A dog? I could do that. Because he can hold sure. his own. He can hold his head up? Yeah. <laughs> That's why you choose the dog. And potentially <laughs> catch rabbits and, and birds and stuff if it get, comes to that. But Fight off intruders. Yep. But once again, Mark, wait, thank I you. Think, wait, Mark, I think Mark has, wait, sorry? I think Mark has two questions. Well, there's two Mon, questions, Mon, Mon right? Frere, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. Don't cut me off after nine holes. Sorry, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Emergency nine. So the second question is, if everybody had to put a date right now a, a, a betting over under on when professional golf will start up again what's your date when are they holding the masters not the, well, not the masters but any professional pga tour event what's the first event back does you with, have yeah. the event. You just, with just fans or without what's that with fans or without uh, we'll say we'll say without. Okay. Uh, I'll go at least four months from now. My guess four is months? fall the fall masters that they're gonna do. I think that is gonna be the comeback. I don't know. I saw that Haley Moore took down a, like a a women's tournament that PXG or whatnot. So people are playing golf. There just won't be any people. There is, hopefully, we, I say, yeah, four. Sorry. Could get all fired up I, about this. My th opinion, the next time we will see a full-fledged PGA Tour event will be Kapalua. January. Wow. I mm -hmm. think this entire year, wow. professional sports will be gone. That's a hot take. I would like to see people doing Twitch battles. I know Tiger and Phil are talking about a battle. Maybe that's it's, it's less is more right now, right? You should just set up some isolation matches 
stream it on Twitch, winner take home 50K. Yeah, they were talking about doing that match in Florida, and I think anything goes in oh. Florida right yeah. now. <laughs> I, think, I think it's got to be like a Wyoming destination, maybe Jackson Hole, where like nobody has been there for a while. Yeah, somewhere rural would be nice. Going country. Yeah. What about you, Mark? When probably do you think it's going to come back? You probably know well, more about it than we do. I don't. Uh, I know you guys had a doctor on recently. I didn't know if at any point uh, you had talked with her about that possible date. We did not get a date from her. No. That got, got it's escalated so quickly from when we even spoke to the good doctor yeah. to like even where we are now, kind of in that yeah, week, ten days. It's every day. Yeah, that's she true. Was yeah. Kind of waiting for the waves, and now the waves every day to hear. I will. I'm going to give a plug right now, actually, because Salus Pro, we've kind of pivoted this company that I work with doing marketing. Have, we've pivoted their entire business around giving away their software for free because they like it's safety related. So any companies that are working that need to deal with documentation or want to like construction companies are obviously still working. They've kind of built in all these forms for reporting on COVID-19 related symptoms and stuff so that instead of texting a boss saying, hey, man, I'm not feeling good, you put the form in. And I think it's just building the procedures around how do we move forward through this, right? Like there's only so long you can be totally shut down until it's like, okay, the solution is outweighing the problem right now. Like we're not going to come out of this unless we figure out a way to strategically move forward. And that's, and then how do we design the processes around that? So huge shout out to Salus pro for doing safety management for free right now to anyone that needs it. Sorry, Mark. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's great. I mean, the, the, the one thing that's coming out of all this stuff that you're seeing uh, again and again, that's really hopeful is that, there are really fantastic stories, right? And uh, people, you know, tenant landlords are delaying or uh, just canceling tenants' rent, and people are lifting each other up uh, left and right out of, you know, necessity. Um, and you're seeing uh, some some pretty strong, some pretty strong spirit, some uh, actual uh, compassion in, in, in humanity, which is which is really beautiful and. Um, certainly heartening and, and we need more of that because you know lord knows people are we're way too stressed out right now to be dealing with more divisiveness so mm-hmm, exactly. I, i'm glad I, I, it's, it's nice to know um and I'm, I'm glad you're highlighting that but to get back to your your question about uh throwing it back my way about when i think things are going to open back up i read uh, an article today it was on golf digest about how vegas is thinking about um starting to create some betting markets on simulator golf. And, you know, they'll, they'll probably ask some tour players to do that and stream it as you suggested in, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a match play or shells, wonderful world format or something like that, or a little bit of, of cash. So it could come back in that form almost immediately, which would be yeah. really cool. Um, I, and, and that I would think, be really cool. Yeah, I don't even. Yeah, I don't even want to know what you'd shoot on an indoor simulator golf machine, <laughs> just based on like yeah, angles and speeds and balls and stuff. Because I know a guy who is you know somewhat relatively good here, but he ain't Mark Baldwin good. 
and he shoots like 60, 61 in a screen just because he has a low penetrating ball flight, right? So if you were to just tinker and winker, like, hey, like here's 49, right? Thanks for coming out. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and you can set that, that gimme range pretty wide, so the circle of yeah. friendship you know, can really help you out a lot. It's like, it's like the, when you put the cups above the ground right now, you can be 40 feet away and just hit it as hard as you possibly can, right? You obviously saw that video then, Mark, of that guy shooting oh, yeah. 59, just slamming it in from four feet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was never funny. all day. But, uh, <laughs> I, I hope it comes back you know, really quick, uh, just in a different format. Right. Yeah. Whatever format, whatever works, whatever format, we'll take, we'll, we'll take anything. Do you like blondes or burnouts? I like blondes. We're good. Cause I'll take anything. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> I like that. That's a beautiful way to end it. Absolutely. But once again, and for the last time, I promise, thank you for your time, Mark. And we wish the best for you during this uh, difficult time, but not only to you, but to your family and, everyone around you yeah thanks for coming on mark i thanks, appreciate mark. you making this time for us thanks guys build a snowman for me definitely oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll do mark <laughs> um, i may not build the snowman but I'll, I'll definitely play some urban golf <laughs> no snowman in, in, in urban golf though exactly <laughs> yeah touche par is relevant all Peace. right uh, cheers folks thank you thanks mark bye-bye Hello, 4Jack Podcast fam. It's your boy, Active Nation, and thank you for listening to the 4Jack Podcast. It would mean the absolute world to us if you could go hit that subscribe button and leave us a lovely five-star review on the Apple Podcast app. You know what? Because that would really make our day. Thank you, and let's keep on golfing, baby. I kind of like that last one. Okay. Then we're good. Got it. <laughs>